Section 19 of Volume 1A of History of England From the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume Volume 1A, Section 19, Chapter 3, Part 6, Harold, 1066. Harold had so well prepared matters before the death of Edward that he immediately stepped into the vacant throne, and his accession was attended with as little opposition and disturbance as if he had succeeded by the most undoubted hereditary title. The citizens of London were his zealous partisans. The bishop and clergy had adopted his cause, and all the powerful nobility connected with him by alliance or friendship willingly seconded his pretensions. The title of Edgar Atheling was scarcely mentioned, much less the claim of the Duke of Normandy, and Harold, assembling his partisans, received the crown from their hands without waiting for the free deliberations of the states or regularly submitting the question to their determination if any were averse to this measure they were obliged to conceal their sentiments and the new prince taking a general silence for consent and founding his title on the supposed suffrages of the people which appeared unanimous was on the day immediately succeeding edward's death crowned and anointed king by aldred archbishop of york the whole nation seemed joyfully to acquiesce in his elevation the first symptoms of danger which the king discovered came from abroad and from his own brother tosti who had submitted to a voluntary banishment in flanders enraged at the successful ambition of harold to which he himself had fallen a victim he filled the court of baldwin with complaints of the injustice which he had suffered he engaged the interest of that family against his brother he endeavoured to form intrigues with some of the discontented nobles in england he sent his emissaries to norway in order to rouse to arms the freebooters of that kingdom and to excite their hopes of reaping advantage from the unsettled state of affairs on the usurpation of the new king and that he might render the combination more formidable he made a journey to normandy in expectation that the duke who had married matilda another daughter of baldwin would in revenge of his own wrongs as well as those of tosti second by his counsels and forces the projected invasion of england the duke of normandy when he first received intelligence of harold's intrigues and accessions had been moved to the highest pitch of indignation but that he might give the better colour to his pretensions he sent an embassy to england upbraiding that prince with his breach of faith and summoning him to resign immediately possession of the kingdom 
harold replied to the norman ambassadors that the oath with which he was reproached had been extorted by the well-grounded fear of violence and could never for that reason be regarded as obligatory that he had had no commission either from the late king or from the states of england who alone could dispose of the crown to make any tender of the succession to the duke of normandy and if he a private person had assumed so much authority and had even voluntarily sworn to support the duke's pretensions that the oath was unlawful and it was his duty to seize the first opportunity of breaking it that he had obtained the crown by the unanimous suffrages of the people and should prove himself totally unworthy of their favour did he not strenuously maintain those national liberties with whose protection they had entrusted him and that the duke if he made any attempt by force of arms should experience the power of a united nation conducted by a prince who sensible of the obligations imposed on him by his royal dignity was determined that the same moment should put a period to his life and to his government this answer was no other than william expected and he had previously fixed his resolution of making an attempt upon england consulting only his courage his resentment and his ambition he overlooked all the difficulties inseparable from an attack on a great kingdom by such inferior force and he saw only the circumstances which would facilitate his enterprise he considered that england ever since the accession of canute had enjoyed profound tranquillity during a period of near fifty years and it would require time for its soldiers enervated by long peace to learn discipline and its general's experience he knew that it was entirely unprovided with fortified towns by which it could prolong the war but must venture its whole fortune in one decisive action against a veteran enemy who being once master of the field would be in a condition to overrun the kingdom he saw that harold though he had given proofs of vigour and bravery had newly mounted a throne which he had acquired by faction from which he had excluded a very ancient royal family and which was likely to totter under him by its own instability much more if shaken by any violent external impulse and he hoped that the very circumstance of his crossing the sea quitting his own country and leaving himself no hopes of retreat as it would astonish the enemy by the boldness of the enterprise would inspirit his soldiers by despair and rouse them to sustain the reputation of the norman arms the normans as they had long been distinguished by valour among all the european nations had at this time attained to the highest pitch of military glory besides acquiring by arms such a noble territory in france besides defending it against continual attempts of the french monarch and all its neighbours besides exerting many acts of vigour under their present sovereign 
they had about this very time revived their ancient fame by the most hazardous exploits and the most wonderful successes in the other extremity of europe a few norman adventurers in italy had acquired such an ascendant not only over the italians and greeks but the germans and saracens that they expelled those foreigners procured to themselves ample establishments and laid the foundation of the opulent kingdom of naples and sicily these enterprises of men who were all of them vassals in normandy many of them banished for faction and rebellion excited the ambition of the haughty william who disdained after such examples of fortune and valor to be deterred from making an attack on a neighboring country where he could be supported by the whole force of his principality the situation also of europe inspired william with hopes that besides his brave normans he might employ against england the flower of the military force which was dispersed in all the neighboring states france germany and the low countries by the progress of the feudal institutions were divided and subdivided into many principalities and baronies and the possessors enjoying the civil jurisdiction within themselves as well as the right of arms acted in many respects as independent sovereigns and maintained their properties and privileges less by the authority of laws than by their own force and valor a military spirit had universally diffused itself throughout europe and the several leaders whose minds were elevated by their princely situation greedily embraced the most hazardous enterprises and being accustomed to nothing from their infancy but recitals of the success attending wars and battles they were prompted by a natural ambition to imitate those adventures which they heard so much celebrated and which were so much exaggerated by the credulity of the age united however loosely by their duty to one superior lord and by their connections with the great body of the community to which they belonged they desired to spread their fame each beyond his own district and in all assemblies whether instituted for civil deliberations for military expeditions or merely for show and entertainment to outshine each other by the reputation of strength and prowess hence their genius for chivalry hence their impatience of peace and tranquillity and hence their readiness to embark in any dangerous enterprise how little soever interested in its failure or success william by his power his courage and his abilities had long maintained a preeminence among those haughty chieftains and every one who desired to signalize himself by his address in military exercises or his valor in action had been ambitious of acquiring a reputation in the court and in the armies of normandy entertained with that hospitality and courtesy which distinguished the age they had formed attachments with the prince 
and greedily attended to the prospects of the signal glory and elevation which he promised them in return for their concurrence in an expedition against england the more grandeur there appeared in the attempt the more it suited their romantic spirit the fame of the intended invasion was already diffused everywhere multitudes crowded to tender to the duke their service with that of their vassals and retainers and william found less difficulty in completing his levies than in choosing the most veteran forces and in rejecting the offers of those who were impatient to acquire fame under so renowned a leader besides these advantages which william owed to his personal valour and good conduct he was indebted to fortune for procuring him some assistance and also for removing many obstacles which it was natural for him to expect in an undertaking in which all his neighbours were so deeply interested conan count of brittany was his mortal enemy in order to throw a damp upon the duke's enterprise he chose this conjuncture for reviving his claim to normandy itself and he required that in case of william's success against england the possession of that duchy should devolve to him but conan died suddenly after making this demand and hole his successor instead of adopting the malignity or more properly speaking the prudence of his predecessor zealously seconded the duke's views and sent his eldest son alain fergant to serve under him with a body of five thousand bretons the counts of anjou and of flanders encouraged their subjects to engage in the expedition and even the court of france though it might justly fear the aggrandizement of so dangerous a vassal pursued not its interests on this occasion with sufficient vigour and resolution philip i the reigning monarch was a minor and william having communicated his project to the council having desired assistance and offered to do homage in case of his success for the crown of england was indeed openly ordered to lay aside all thoughts of the enterprise but the earl of flanders his father-in-law being at the head of the regency favoured underhand his levies and secretly encouraged the adventurous nobility to enlist under the standard of the duke of normandy the emperor henry the fourth besides openly giving all his vassals permission to embark in this expedition which so much engaged the attention of europe promised his protection to the duchy of normandy during the absence of the prince and thereby enabled him to employ his whole force in the invasion of england but the most important ally that william gained by his negotiations was the pope who had a mighty influence over the ancient barons no less devout in their religious principles than valorous in their military enterprises the roman pontiff after an insensible progress during several ages of darkness and ignorance began now to lift his head openly above all the princes of europe to assume the office of a mediator 
or even an arbiter in the quarrels of the greatest monarchs, to interpose in all secular affairs, and lo, obtrude his dictates as sovereign laws on his obsequious disciples. It was a sufficient motive to Alexander the Second, the reigning Pope, for embracing William's quarrel, that he alone had made an appeal to his tribunal and rendered him umpire of the dispute between him and Harold. But there were other advantages which that pontiff foresaw must result from the conquest of England by the Norman arms. That kingdom, though at first converted by Romish missionaries, though it had afterwards advanced some farther steps towards subjection to Rome, maintained still a considerable independence in its ecclesiastical administration, and forming a world within itself entirely separated from the rest of Europe. It had hitherto proved inaccessible to those exorbitant claims which supported the grandeur of the papacy. Alexander therefore hoped that the French and Norman barons, if successful in their enterprise, might import into that country a more devoted reference to the Holy See, and bring the English churches to a nearer conformity with those of the continent. He declared immediately in favour of William's claim, pronounced Harold a perjured usurper, denounced excommunication against him and his adherents, and the more to encourage the Duke of Normandy in his enterprise, he sent him a consecrated banner and a ring with one of St. Peter's hair in it. Thus were all the ambition and violence of that invasion covered over safely with the broad mantle of religion. End of section 19